Brilliant. Um, see me okay, yeah? I do see you okay. Yep. Cool, cool. Right. Um, and so welcome to my uh, my first podcast. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We have uh, Andrew Howard here from Bitcoin Reserve. He's the, the Chief Business Development Officer um, and been in Bitcoin for quite a few years. Um, yeah, um, we, we touch on all that in a second. But um, yeah, so Andrew, do you want to just j jump into it, like the whole background? Like we got talking a couple of, we've, we've kind of been going over and back quite a few years now, just on LinkedIn. Then we, I think we connected on Twitter, start talking in person. Um, and yeah, so now here, here we are today, I suppose. So yeah, if like if, if you want to jump in on just just your background, like um, from the very start, it's always interesting to you know get get the whole backstory. So yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, good to be here, uh, especially on the first one. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I got in Bitcoin in 2017. Uh, I was active duty Marine Corps <clears throat> at the time, and so that's when I first got into Bitcoin, I'd, I'd been learning about the libertarian school of thought um, and Austrian economics, just the the whole idea of, of Keynesianism versus Austrianism, and just the, the fact that basically whenever the government gets involved in the economy, things go bad, in a very simple way of putting it. Um, so yeah, I started getting into gold and learning about the problems with fiat currency, about how all fiat currency inevitably goes to zero, always. I mean, history is is full of proof of that. Um, and then I found out about Bitcoin and was just like, oh my gosh, this is, if somebody were to have designed a perfect form of money, that is Bitcoin, or at least a near perfect form of money, that's Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, had the big run up in 2017 from pretty much $1,000 to $20,000. And I was actually on a training exercise at the time. So I didn't have internet connection and I, I was basically forced to hodl through that entire run up <laughs> just during that two week period. I was, I was without internet on a training exercise. So, um, and yeah, man, I've, I've just been going down the rabbit hole ever since uh, I've been living kind of the expat life for the past two and a half years, basically since the start of COVID. COVID uh, I live here in Mexico um, and working full-time uh, at Bitcoin Reserve. Cool, cool. And like, so like how, how many years were you in the military? Like how did that all get started? And, and I suppose, why did you leave? Was it because you had a, a total change in Bitcoin kind of, orange pill you out in the military or yeah what's the story there yeah so i joined the military at 17 years old um i have very militaristic family a lot of men in my family were also in the military and grew up uh, as you know, a very patriotic person i was in scouts growing up I'm, I'm an eagle scout now um so you know i had that national pride and of course in the united states you have all these movies and all this propaganda basically about about the military um yeah joined his young man at 17 and you know um i i read a book called war is a racket written by a gentleman named smedley butler smedley butler was a marine corps general 
he got two medals of honor, which is the highest military award that you can uh, receive in, in the US military. And he got two medals of honor, which is extremely rare. And they teach you about this guy in boot camp. They teach you about how, uh, you know, basically how hardcore the guy was. And they conveniently leave out the part when he gets out of the Marine Corps and writes a book, uh, an anti-war book, basically talking about how war is the oldest game in the book. And it's fought for the profit of corrupt politicians and people who own corporations that supply things to the military and benefit from conquests. And and that really changed a lot. And, and just this whole idea of uh, these, especially the wars that the United States has been in the last, well, I don't know how, how, how far you want to go back on the time frame, but these, these wars that the U.S. always finds itself in are not possible without the use of the money printer. And making that connection was a very big switch in my mind. The U.S. spends so much money on the military. The national debt in the United States is $31 trillion right now. Um, and it's an entire industry. And unfortunately, it's an industry where you have people signing up who have honorable intent. They care about their country. They care about those that they love and they want to protect them. And that is a noble thing to do. But unfortunately, fiat currency perverts the incentives for war and uh, corrupts that entire act of wanting to protect those you love and turns it into, uh, you know, pretty much waging conflicts that make life worse for each nation, but better for the politicians. So, yeah, I'm just looking here. So you, so you said the book is um, War is a Racket. The Smedley Butler, you said, is it? Yep, Smedley Butler. Got it. So it was written in 1935, and like he was already drawing the. So you said he was talking even about the money printer, like back then, making more possible. It was already kind of. He was able to recognize that. Well, he, he wasn't specifically tying in uh, war with a money printer, but he was talking about how much money these corporations made from, for example, the corporations that sell the military uniforms or you know, weapons or anything like that, supplies, things like that, how much money they made. But I, I made the connection um, after just getting into libertarianism and, um, you know, reading the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is a book that pretty much talks about how the Federal Reserve was created, how it functions. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the connection. Cool, cool. And like, so, so how many years, so you said you joined at 17, so how many years, like, did you do a long time in the military, you worked your way up, like, did you serve overseas, or was it all American, because obviously, like, you know, we're from Ireland, so we're not, maybe, like, the American audience would be a lot more aware of, like, how, you know, American military functions, like, how does that all, how did that look for you? Yeah, so I, I served three years active duty, most people do four years, I served three years active duty. And uh, like, yeah, so it was in the Marine Corps was a recon Marine, which is uh, one of the more elite jobs. It's one of the two special operations jobs that the Marine Corps offers. And so it was super gung ho uh, when joining the military, went through, you know, the training was not fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I really believe I was doing it at the time, but then you know, it's it's just it's it's so difficult to uh, support what the U.S. military is doing at this point. You know, I, I support people 
a lot of people who are in the military, but um, especially you know nine eleven and and uh, things like that. It, it's just you start seeing you know all these wars when the way that they're started. There's there's always someone benefiting from it, you know, and even kind of a side tangent here but even when you read the creature from jekyll island that book i mentioned it talks about how all the way back in world war one the lusitania uh you start looking into that and <clears throat> it's very clear that <clears throat> the united states knew that people would be dying and they they had i think it was you know over 100 american passengers on the lusitania get killed anyways <laughs> so they should start a war you have the gulf of tonkin and vietnam which now it's confirmed that the Gulf of Tonkin was a false pretense for a war. Mm -hmm. um, all these things. So uh, anyways, sorry, the, the original question was just more about my my military experience, though, right? Yeah, well, I just on what you said there, like I can yeah, definitely get that. Like, would you, I suppose, would you say that um, when you uh, like because I, I totally get it as well, like even though being from Ireland, totally get that, you know, even obviously not an, an american patriot or anything like that but more of like the whole patriotic freedom the kind of what america is supposed to stand for in the movies um you know like you know the whole as you said the propaganda image like do you think the american military still stands for that or like yeah what are your thoughts around that no <laughs> I do not. I, I, I do not. Unfortunately, I wish it. I really wish it did. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I love a lot of people who are in the the American military. Like, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> but uh, unfortunately, I think it's it's just been so corrupted from the top down to where the good guys always get out and the bad ones always stay. Just very bureaucratic. Um, darn. I, I had another thought. I'm I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question one more time? Yeah, I, I suppose the question was just like, well, I, the the simple question was, um, do you? Yeah, God, my my thoughts are kind of going as well. But um, <laughs> do you like believe the Americans, the military system? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's that, right. Does... Now, yes, yeah. So that that was the thought that I wanted to share was, uh, no, I don't. And just an example of why I don't is. <clears throat> just a small example out of many I could mention, but um, when you join the military, you raise your right hand <clears throat> and you swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States. And, excuse me, just that act alone, I would say for sure less than half of the people that I interacted with in the military uh, have not read the Constitution. So they've they've raised their right hand, sworn an oath to the Constitution. I will I will protect and defend the Constitution. So help me God, and not read the Constitution. That's really yeah. amazing if you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, you are instructed to follow orders. That is one thing they constantly drill in your head to have instant obedience and willingness to orders. And when you look at the origins of the United States, a lot of people talk about the Second Amendment, and in case anybody doesn't know what the Second Amendment is, Second Amendment is your right to bear arms. Uh, it says, shall not be infringed. But one part of the Second Amendment that a lot of people don't talk about is how uh, 
you also have a right to have a well-regulated militia. And we have founding fathers that talked about this idea of, okay, national defense um, from foreign enemies and domestic enemies, uh, standing armies. So you have, you know, a whole army with a general and <clears throat> a bunch of people marching and following all their orders and, uh, or a militia. So you have people, you know, fighting for their homeland, uh, having local relationships, stuff like that. And standing armies are, are, are not the best way of defending a nation, in my opinion. And the reason why is, you know, you basically take a bunch of young 20-year-olds and give them guns and tell them to do whatever they're told. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> you know, just thinking about that. Um, you can get to a point where you send them overseas and they're doing stuff that's against the interests of, of America. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I, I hate to say this because I really love the, the ideals that America has founded upon. But it is in many ways collapsing systemically and intentionally, and I think a lot of that is rooted in uh, collapsing of the currency. And do, do you think that? Because um, it was recently that I, I was saying that um, the American military is struggling to like the way down on recruitment numbers and stuff. Is this like a commonly held view amongst the military now? Yeah, they're very very low on recruitment numbers. Yes, and they're going woke. Uh, they've got. Uh, you, you can find, you know, it's it. It would be much funnier for anybody listening to actually watch it than hear me describe it. But you can find like woke U.S. military commercials. Um, yeah, I mean, young Christian males don't want to go fight and die for Joe Biden or, you know, any other puppet. Right now, a lot of people just don't have that that interest anymore yeah I, I i suppose as well when you you look at the whole history of the wars and like for you know you can go back to kind of insert any war in the past hundred years and like the reasons that people went off to fight and die in that war it comes out way later they weren't the reasons that they were told at the time um so and it's becoming increasingly obvious you know like vietnam all that kind of all that kind of stuff and then you know, even 9-11, the more recent stuff, like whatever you think about 9-11 itself, um, the reasons that they gave for going into Iraq and all that, it's quite very questionable. Um, so it's, I, I think it's like, you know, even from an outsider looking into America from here, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, it seems very clear why and and then you have all the wokeness as well which it's totally like prevalent here as well but um well we don't have too much of military here but you, you see it on tv for ads for the english army and stuff and like mm -hmm. the whole woke you know i think they're even kind of thinking about trying to virtue signal and that kind of stuff is just mental like so it's totally insane it's totally insane what they're doing they're like experimenting on uh the military and you know just the idea of like a woman serving in combat i'm sorry but that it's just i don't maybe i'm sexist or whatever misogynistic or some horrible person whatever label you want to attach to me but i i don't think that's just you know men at all costs you know that that should be like a very last option is war because war is not fun um but uh yeah it, it's they're really just they, they basically hate everything natural they hate everything natural pretty much that's what the left is yeah yeah or just there was some ad i saw recently it was like you know insert every um 
you know obviously women's stuff but it was insert every kind of ethnicity and race as well like everyone wearing the as like oh my god like you imagine like god forbid there actually was an international conflict of some sort against like you know you know russia or china or anything. oh no we're screwed against russia <laughs> no they don't do any of that russians russians are some of the i've ever interacted with and they've all they all hate communism with a passion you know this whole thing of like russia you know russians being so bad i just think it's so ridiculous especially in the united states so i see a lot of similarities between uh, russian nationalists and, and american nationalists too so um but i was going to say too yeah regarding 9 11 like 100 percent. and for anybody that uh thinks we're you know crazy conspiracy theorists which you probably don't if you're listening to this but uh for anybody that wants to examine the official narrative of 9 11 from a different lens there's a really good organization called architects and engineers for 9 11 truth and this is an organization of 3,000 architects and engineers who have put their careers and reputations on the line and um basically made made public statements saying that the official narrative we're given about 9-11 defies the laws of physics and just it makes absolutely no sense um there's so many questionable things about that like just building seven alone you know i mean it, it's been you know 21 years since 9-11 and people still don't know what building seven is it, it's just it's pretty nuts yeah yeah so it's just getting a bit of lag there like i think google's kind of recognizing you're talking about this now it's like <laughs> maybe in, like, should we turn the camera off uh no 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 it's it's okay i i think it was just um this bit little bit of a storm here but the, the internet's pretty good but um yeah no um yeah so the, i've looked into that stuff in the past and to be honest yeah i i totally get what you're saying but it's amazing now like even five or six years ago there used to be a lot more say reddick you know a lot more critique like readily available dialogue and like documentaries and stuff that was actually just you know not the nonsense documentaries but like real kind of asking questions of what's happening at various different levels um and like anything that's kind of good now has mostly been ripped off youtube and google and stuff so it's uh yeah hopefully it doesn't kind of fade away in, into nothing but yeah very very interesting and i suppose you could say if you you know if you're well tuned into that and you believe a lot of that stuff is very dubious it'd be hard to make any case to to go fight in you know the middle east for whatever reason yeah exactly so exactly. And, and like so were you so just like say you're i suppose you're your bitcoin genesis story and like then like just with the military then so what was it bitcoin yeah did bitcoin take you out of the military then or and do you want to do something else or like how did that go yeah no so uh bitcoin was influential for sure um but it was a combination of uh, a lot of things bitcoin being included um but largely i mean it was really learning about 9 11 was a big factor in it um because that's just such a tell telltale i mean was that, you, you gotta do 30 that, minutes of what's up sorry was that while you were in the military like you start to learn about that stuff 
Uh, well, it's why big reason why I got out of the military is learning about uh, some very questionable things about 9-11 that didn't make sense. And then seeing that the, the U.S. government has not acknowledged any of these these points of concern that uh, very notable people are bringing up about the official story. Just, you know, we've never, we've never ever had a skyscraper, huge skyscraper type building collapse in a pancake fashion at free fall speed on its own without it being a controlled demolition. It looks exactly like a controlled demolition. Yeah. And they don't acknowledge that at all. So anyways, um, yeah, I mean, just at that point, it, it's just so difficult to just w work for that machine and believe in what you're doing. Like, I and don't get me wrong, you know, I think, I think it, it's a very good quality to have, and and men should have this quality of okay, I'm I'm going to protect the people I love, and you know, if I have to, I'll fight for them, and that's a good qualities. And I would still, you know. Uh, I would still fight and die for for people I love, but uh, the U.S. government does not align with with that category. You know, I don't think they're working in the interests of of the American people. So I got out uh, as what's called the conscientious objector, um, which is where basically you have to prove uh, that you have had a change of change of heart, change of mind. Um, and you know, that's not a, not a process. It's a long process, very bureaucratic, but, uh, I, I just hit a point where it's like, I'm, I'm not going to work for criminals anymore. It really sucks. I mean, I, I, I really love being in the military. I jumped out of planes like almost 30 times and shot a bunch of guns and made really good friends. And it's definitely a good time in many ways. It also sucks, you know, but the, the, the grueling suffering of it brings you closer together with people as well, which is which is kind of a unique thing that you get when you're in the military. But um, yeah, I mean, at, at, you, at the end of the day, if you have to have a noble cause. <laughs> That's the most important thing. You have to have a noble cause and what you're actually doing all of that for, you know? And unfortunately, you're not really, you don't think about that cause as much as you should in the military, today at least. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and then, yeah, you see, so learned about Bitcoin then when you're you're in the military. Um, so, did did everyone else like? Was it just you that was notable? Like, what year was this? This was about twenty seventeen, was it? Yeah, twenty seventeen. And no, it was not just me. I had uh, I'd say twenty five to thirty percent of my uh, my platoon owned Bitcoin. And which is pretty hilarious if you think about it you know and it was during the huge bull market right so it was just doing nothing but going up and up and up for for a while so you know yeah, this is the time period when your taxi driver is talking about bitcoin and your aunt that you haven't talked to in a year is texting you if she should buy it you know <laughs> we're at that point <laughs> and um did many of them like do you know did they keep on did they did they get it like do they did they huddle through the whole thing or did you know did it go all go shit coiny no some some people i mean you know everybody goes down the shit coin route at some point i think most people do if you don't then you're you're lucky you're either lucky or you haven't hit that point yet but uh no i mean a lot of people actually huddled as well i mean a lot of people sold too so
And did you start on shit coins? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not, not like, well, yeah, I, I, I always, I've always held Bitcoin. Um, I would certainly, I, I really wish I didn't get distracted with uh, altcoins because I would have, of course have more Bitcoin now. But um, yeah, you know, I did have the phase where I'm like trying to find which the net, you know, which coin is, is best to buy next and buying some coin and putting it on MetaMask and doing that whole thing. Like it's, it's, it's just gambling. That's what it is. It's just gambling. Like, And you know, I mean, if people want to gamble, then okay. Like if you want to gamble with your money yet, you know, okay, sure. Go ahead. But um like let's just be honest and call it gambling let's let's not fool ourselves and actually act like this is something productive to the world you know yeah yeah because like when i got into it initially it was um like before bitcoin there was just a brief period where did you like did you ever come across mike maloney like the hidden secrets of money youtube that's stuff? actually a great series yeah except yeah, for the part yeah. where he shills some altcoin and yeah he starts else. talking about it's like the first yeah so it was like for people that don't know like it's um you can get it all on youtube it's really good kind of i think it's like 10 or 11 part documentary series a really really high standard production quality on like what is money and a lot of it talks about gold and silver and then in like one of the episodes he kind of goes on some mad altcoin tirade which is a bit weird but i think he, he comes around again the right way though in the end but um yeah like there was a brief period beforehand that i was kind of you know what would you call gold gold pills gold silver all that kind of stuff um and definitely recognize the value of it still but you know not really too much because of the whole bitcoin thing now uh, interest to your thoughts on that but um the the thing though is um i kind of buy the whole remember litecoin had a thing at the time that really took me that because bitcoin was obviously quite big in value and litecoin used to always go on about the the guys in the community like you know the silver to bitcoins gold like this kind of total nonsense <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't make any sense thinking about it but like it was like kind of like i was very new to the whole thing very green very naive um and it just got took by that for a while and luckily kind of got out of it before it would have hurt very bad but um yeah funny little story so and like gold and silver like is that uh is that you, you said you're a bit of a gold bug um for a while or yeah i was i mean just one quick thing on the altcoins i mean it, it, at least uh well i mean you see it now i would say the most honest altcoin is actually dogecoin <laughs> and the reason why <laughs> the reason why is because the creators openly admitted that it's completely stupid and they just thought it was funny and they're not like ethereum where you've got people you know talking with the world economic forum and making hard forts and all that um and i guess like the co-founder of or co-creator of dogecoin sold his entire stack of dogecoin in 2015 for a honda civic you know <laughs> so <laughs> but anyways yeah so gold um it's okay i mean the reality is gold has an extremely long track record that cannot be denied that's a fact and that has to be acknowledged But I, I, I'll, let's just look at the facts. So I'll, I'll say a few things here. And I, I hope I don't repeat myself <clears throat> too much on these podcasts because uh, this is something I mentioned on, on some other podcasts as well, of course. But I, I just think it's a really 
interesting few sets of points here to, to consider. So, okay, so <clears throat> Bitcoin, as we all know, is much more portable than gold. It's much more easier to store than gold. So you don't have this inevitable um, migration to centralization, you know, like people have the bank hold their gold and then, you know, the bank can do whatever they want, right? You have, Bitcoin's easier to hold your own wealth, have your own private keys. Um, it's more scarce than gold. Um, it, it's it's verifiably finite. 21 million. We don't know how many ounces are going to exist with gold. Gold is scarce, of course, but it's not as scarce as Bitcoin because um, you have annual increase uh, in the supply of gold by about one to two percent per year. So Bitcoin is is a more compelling form of money right now for those reasons, which you know Ed, you already knew. But if you look at the next generation so let's look at the millennial generation devere group did a study about a year year and a half ago um, on how millennials feel about bitcoin compared to gold and they found that about 67 percent of millennials prefer uh bitcoin over gold and i would venture to say now it's probably a higher number um so that's pretty interesting. You know, you have the majority of millennials prefer Bitcoin over gold. And then if you look at the amount of money that millennials are going to be inheriting over the next 20 or so years, it's estimated to be between 30 trillion and 70 trillion dollars. Okay. So you have this generation which values Bitcoin more and they're inheriting a ton of money over the next 20 years. To me, it seems like the most logical place to park my value is bitcoin that's the way i see it yeah yeah um i agree <laughs> i think the problem with a lot of these i'd love to have a debate around this stuff with like you know get the other side of it but the, the problem is i don't think they're really I was only chatting with someone the other day around this um at the the amsterdam conference and like i don't think anyone can really had, there is no good debates out there because no one can like no no one on say the gold side of things or the the anti-bitcoin side of things understands bitcoin well enough to be able to make a good debate so once you listen to say Saifedean, you know debate some keynesian economics professor it's just immediately clear the keynesian economic professor has no idea he doesn't understand bitcoin at all so it's like yeah it's kind of like we're, we're totally in like uncharted waters um and everything points to that what you said they're making perfect sense um well that's the interesting thing just to acknowledge that real quick like people in bitcoin understand more about why gold has value than people who own gold i know that's a generalization yeah. but uh just if, if you a lot of people who own gold think it has value because it's it's got intrinsic value you know because it's used for all these other purposes like industrial uses and for your teeth and for jewelry and stuff like that and that's not the case at all. Um, you know, I mean, why isn't, I, I always say this, but why isn't aluminum more valuable than gold then? Because aluminum is in like everything. <laughs> okay. So the industrial uses are not what gives it value. And intrinsic value is not even, it, intrinsic value does not exist. You know, Mises, you have these gold bugs who a lot of them are, are libertarians and, but they don't realize that Mises said there is no such thing as intrinsic value 
because value is always subjective. And the amount of value that you assign to something can vary depending on the situation. You know, if I'm like starving of thirst right now, I'm really going to value a glass of water. But if I'm, you know, if there's like some crazy rainstorm right now or something like that, or if I, I you know, it, the situation can change. Human, human beings value things for different reasons. And there's, there's not just one thing that's, that's just, you know, intrinsically valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. But I think even just a, a really simple way of thinking about this is like gold is extremely, the, the reason gold's held as the primary money, I think, is because, you know, it has the characteristics of money and it holds it better than anything else pre Bitcoin. Um, and you can make, I think, where a lot of the kind of gold guys and stuff go wrong on the intrinsic value argument is you can make, like you can definitely make an argument that gold derives some of its say you know whatever 10 12 trillion dollar market cap from industrial use but like then that that's okay like whatever small percentage that is like you know um like there's no massive hedge funds or anything holding gold because of like it's you know <laughs> it's industrial use um but then after that it kind of gets a bit weird when it like when you really think that it doesn't really make sense like you have like like Sir Peter Schiff and all them trying to argue that it's this intrinsic value that actually gives it its monetary value. Um, when Bitcoin has kind of made it totally clear that that's not the case at all. Um, and it's amazing that I think this, this wasn't before Bitcoin, as far as I know, this wasn't a very widely held belief at all or realization that this is probably the case. Like, would you, would you agree with that? Uh, the belief that, uh which beliefs specifically? Like kind of the belief that intrinsic value is well nonsense really um mm. that all its value i mean it it was a belief that has clearly been held by like you know the i guess the austrian school for a while uh with mises saying that but i i think it's it's only come to light now that you have this debate this pretty big debate between bitcoin and gold and I mean, the, the fact is that gold has been so valuable because it's so scarce. It's one of the most scarce metals. It's it's very difficult to produce. You got to mine it. You have to put real world energy into extracting it out of the earth. Um, so, yeah. And then and then once you learn about Bitcoin, you realize that Bitcoin is more scarce than gold. <clears throat> and it, it actually, this is how scarce Bitcoin is. Is it's it's literally like if you were, if, if you had to, you know, mine for gold in the earth, the deeper you go and the closer you get to that gold, the harder it gets. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's Bitcoin. I mean, and all over the world, like if literally every gold mine all over the world, as they were digging for gold every two weeks, it got more and more difficult to reach that gold. That is, I mean, that is how, how scarce Bitcoin is. That's a, an analogy that would work there yeah yeah which is crazy because i that's another thing gold bugs i feel like they they haven't you know really realized is this idea of the difficulty adjustment is is pretty crazy because with gold you 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 put more energy put more work in, into mining more and you can produce more but having a higher production is not always good for the value of it 
So, but with Bitcoin, that that's not the case. No matter how much energy people put into mining it, it's always going to have an adjustment of the difficulty of, of how much uh, Bitcoin can be mined. It's always going to be, you know, the block reward right now will always be, what is it, 6.125 or whatever it is. And then, you know, a couple of years, it's going to cut in half. And then four years from then, it's going to cut in half again. And it will always be that supply schedule, no matter what, no matter how many people mine Bitcoin. Yeah, and it's it's exactly that. Like when the miners all pile in, and they're not getting any more of you know they're just getting a share of a, a fixed amount of the twenty one million that's predetermined. Uh, yeah, it's just the other thing. Like you know, whatever about gold. Like obviously, as the gold price rises, it, it there's more incentive to kind of you know rip it all out the ground. But like with like with silver then like silvers i don't think a lot of people realize that silver is much much easier to get out the ground so like if the silver price was you know firing up like going uh parabolic because of like whatever crisis also the silver mining industry is going to go equally parabolic to drive the price down the other side so it kind of ultimately correct itself um whereas with bitcoin there will be people still piling into the Bitcoin mining, but it's just like, it's that fixed supply schedule. And I, I don't think like the, the, the exponential nature of the whole thing, I don't think people, it's like the human brain has difficulty comprehending this. Um, yeah. So the, I, I suppose it's not really ever priced in, I think. <laughs> We've um, never had anything like it. It's, it's, pretty crazy to uh, think about is we've never had a form of money that is absolutely scarce verifiably you know so yeah, we'll like see what it, happens yeah yeah it, it's like with the halvings you know when when people talk about like is having priced in is it not priced in i kind of think well how could it possibly be priced in because the vast majority of people don't that are in bitcoin don't actually really understand bitcoin at all and they just react to the kind of fomo inducing effects that the halving causes um, and then this goes, this, you know, goes back to exactly what you're saying. It's also the supply schedule, the continual having of the supply. Um, that same thing isn't really present to anywhere near the same degree in gold, silver. So, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, everything divided by 21 million, as Kadot says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, yeah, so look, just just to wind back to the altcoins, um, like, do you think any altcoins or protocols, like, look, I know Bitcoin Reserve is totally Bitcoin only. Do, do you think there is any intrinsic value in it? When I just use the term intrinsic value. <laughs> do you think there's yeah. any value um, offered from any of the other, um, you know, protocols, coins, stable coins, whatever? No. Long none, none at all. Absolutely none. And you don't you don't think there's a role for like stable coins in the, the interim? Oh, excuse me, stable coins. Okay, all right. I I thought you were talking about like Ethereum or Solana or any other project or something like that. Okay, stable coins. That's a different story. Um, we actually so we were, were on the Bitcoin Reserve uh, podcast. We had an episode about how stable coins can actually help with Bitcoin adoption. Um, I do think stable coins for sure have temporary value absolutely yeah um for a variety of reasons i mean a big one is that uh, especially people in impoverished countries where you oftentimes have um 
regulations that make it very difficult to receive money and send money from your country. So stable coins help with that for sure. Um, plus if you're poor, you really can't deal with a lot of volatility. I mean, that that's just the reality. If you have to, you know, receive a certain amount of money in order to like get food or something like that, you, you, you can't deal with something that's really volatile. So, um, so I, I think stable coins can actually help people in that regard. That being said, I also think they're, they're kind of like a Trojan horse ex, you know, entry door into Bitcoin, because you're kind of doing the same thing you would do with Bitcoin. You got this wallet thing and you have this QR code and you're, you're kind of doing the same sort of process that you would do with Bitcoin. And the step from not using anything to using stable coins is much bigger than the step from, okay, going from stable coins to Bitcoin. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And plus it's only a matter of time where, you know, I don't know when this is going to be and nobody else does, but uh, whatever stable coin they're using will lose its its uh, purchasing power over time. It's still a shit coin. It's still a shit coin because it's it's uh, you know it's a fiat currency and fiat currencies are are just the ultimate shit coins. Um, and and when that happens, then they're they're going to see more on on why Bitcoin has value. So, but other than that, no, I mean, I, I think Ethereum is a total scam, um, 70% pre-mine and, and all these hard forks and that you should talk a lot about how, why Ethereum is a scam, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny too, because a lot of people think Bitcoiners are very narrow-minded people, you know, very toxic, narrow-minded people. They, they're not open-minded. They're not looking at other projects, but the majority of Bitcoiners I know are people who, previously also thought Bitcoiners were narrow-minded and had altcoins, you know? Yeah, like I'd love to know how many people were, uh, you know, the proverbial orange, like totally orange-pilled kind of maximalist sense from like Celsius. Um, it, but to be honest, you could probably make a good estimation of that number now that Celsius has leaked everyone's private data <laughs> um, or, yeah. or, or released it. Um, but like, do you think then, like, do you think the stable coins could be a bit of a, I, I know you said they're a Trojan horse for Bitcoin. I'd be interested to think here or hear your um, views if you think they could possibly be a Trojan horse, for like a CBDC as well, you know, like USDC to. Mm, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Hmm. I don't think I, I have a, I don't know if I have a good answer for that one, to be honest. It's a really good question. I think they, I mean, I guess they they could be, because if I don't, I, here's the thing is, I don't know what exactly a CBDC is going to look like. I don't know what, I mean, if, if it's, I, I guess it would be similar, right? You've got a QR code and that QR code is linked to all your personal information and you, maybe you scan it to send to people or I don't know what exactly what that implementation is going to look like. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a tough topic because you, you've got, uh, the majority of central banks in the world, I think it's like 80% of over 80% of central banks have already launched their own CBC initiatives. Um, 
yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to happen in, in the United States personally, though, but that's just me. I know your audience is very Irish, so I hope it doesn't happen to you guys either. Uh, it's probably more likely here than the U.S., but uh, uh, CBDC, so you don't think a CBDC in general is going to be able to be pulled off in the U.S.? I think it's more likely than not that it will not happen in the United States. And I, I should also say that I got this whole idea from, you know, Ansel Lindner from Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah. Okay, he hosts FedWatch on Bitcoin Magazine. And we had him on our podcast, uh, on the Bitcoin Reserve podcast a couple months ago, and he was talking about this. He literally thinks that, that uh, the US dollar will be backed by Bitcoin within 20 years. <laughs> which is yeah. uh pretty interesting um but uh, you know uh, some some reasons he was giving were that so jerry gensler he was the chairman of the uh sec security and exchange commission um he's talking about why bitcoin is a commodity and why pretty much everything other than bitcoin is is an unregistered security so he have a very pro bitcoin uh, chairman of the SEC, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. Um, just in general, Bitcoin is very compatible with American ideals, uh, American ideals of individualism, um, of freedom, of course, uh, freedom from government, obviously. Um, it's actually in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, it says that no money uh, should be coined than anything but gold and silver. So the money we're losing today is unconstitutional by definition. Um, and he was all one. One other interesting thing is Neil Kashkari, uh, Fed president, was talking for like two minutes. Uh, this came out, I think, I don't know, three months ago, something like that. But he was talking for a couple minutes about why who's saying and i don't know any, why every, everybody keeps suggesting this idea of cbdc's i can understand why china would would use something like this because it's china and and they have a different way of life but in the united states i don't see how in any way this is compatible with with american ideals and that's a fed president saying that and i i don't know i don't know you know, I'm sure he's not a good guy. I'm sure he's got his own self-interest. I'm sure he's corrupt in his own way. Okay, I'm not saying he's a great guy, but that's very significant for a Fed president to be making that statement. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen that as well. It's very interesting. It's just, yeah, it's hard to know. Look, I, I think of all this stuff, you, you, you hear like, because there can be a tendency to go totally mad um, on conspiratorial style thinking because you never really, you know, there's no way of knowing what's happening behind closed doors, but there you hear that kind of thing and it just makes it seem like it's not really possible. But then on the other hand, you hear like, um, you know, they are running pilots all over Europe and over much of the well, most of the world really i think it's like 80 percent of country central banks or you know pilot cbdc's and i know that in europe they would love well look i can't say i know but it, it seems like with the way everything went with like you know the vaccine passports all that kind of stuff in europe that they, they just love this kind of thing and that's so sad 
Yeah, well, they have said that they've, you know, they've a lot of positive sentiment towards CBDCs, but it's just hard to see. It's it's hard to see coming it coming off, especially in the US. And like, look, if it, if it doesn't come off in the US, um, I don't think it's going to work anywhere in the West. So fingers crossed, anyway. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, as well, like, it's just on like CBDCs and stable coins in general. Like, it's um. It, yeah well it's actually something i was going to say before but uh like it, it, it was just on what you said around ethereum like you, you said like ethereum kind of being total like a total shit coin or whatever like the thing is with ethereum it's like the, the reason i asked about stable coins initially is because like nearly all like well not nearly i think it's almost 50 percent now like it's the stable coin the total ethereum stable coin market cap is almost eclipsing ethereum itself so it's like um, the, where I was going to go with it is if those stable coins could be built on Bitcoin, which to be honest, look, I'm, I'm not totally up speed and stuff like Taro, not, not as much as it should be. But if it can be done on that and the network effect can be broken of Ethereum, then it's kind of like Ethereum's just like, you know, just fades away with the rest of them. Um, yep. Yeah, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely would. I think, um, I mean, we, we've talked before offline, of course, about liquid USDT and why yeah. that's so interesting, especially compared to uh, USDT as most people use it, which is in ERC-20. Um, I mean, gas, there, there are a lot of reasons to use liquid USDT over uh, USDT, you know, the one that's in ERC-20. Um, just gas fees alone They've gotten ridiculously high, which is hilarious because you can find videos five years ago of Vitalik Buterin talking about, you know, the internet of money shouldn't, it shouldn't cost, uh, how much did he say? $1, $5 to send, you know, the internet of money. And then you have Ethereum uh, gas fees, like, I don't know, hundreds of dollars. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's like a big cost prohibitive thing, especially for poor people uh, trying to send money. Um and you also have uh well for liquid usdt addresses can't be blacklisted so you can't have any 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 anything be frozen if you want to send money to people on ethereum they can um so you have more censorship resistance on uh usdt that's on liquid on the liquid network and you also have confidential transactions as well so I think that is, I think liquid USDT is something that we for sure should see more use of, and we probably will as time goes on. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where more and more people have to be accepting it, right? I mean, not a, not a whole lot of exchanges offer USDT in the first place. Uh, Bitcoin Reserve is one of the very few brokerages that offers USDT on liquid. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, chicken and egg problem. It's like they did get there first with Ethereum, with the stable coins. But look, if that can be broken, um, especially, I think the fees, like they still are, I think they are pretty, you know, they're much, they're substantial at the moment. But in, in bull runs, especially, like, you know, it was costing, it was just crazy. Like, like those companies, like, um, you know you had like all uh you know, like blockfi had their pnl leaked and you could you could see like what they were spending on gas fees for ethereum it was just it was crazy numbers you know 
Um, so obviously liquid like USDT solves all that, but yeah, it just needs to get more adoption. Um, but yeah, so um, just around then, like, say, so say like concerns around Bitcoin. Like, where, where do you think Bitcoin's weak at the moment? Like, um, what what do you think the biggest threat is? Is there anything that could be done better? Yeah, um, it's a good question. So ah, I, I forget who made this quote, but it was in like one of the really early Bitcoin talk forums that said the biggest threat to Bitcoin is assuming that its success is already inevitable or it's already happened. Do you remember who made that quote? I forget. Uh, um, yeah. I, I was yeah. literally thinking exactly this, like this is a really big thing for me as well. But yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it's designed to, it, I call Bitcoin the orange Hulk. It's literally like the Hulk in, in a metaphorical way. It's it's just designed to get stronger and stronger as it gets attacked. Um, but we shouldn't be hubristic uh, about that. And we should, if you really care about the success of something, you should understand, okay, you know, what, what could potentially make it not succeed. So that's a very, uh, you know, important question. Um, Truly, I think the limits to Bitcoin are are equivalent to the internet in the sense that, you know, if you want to put your doomsday tinfoil hat on, right, if there's some sort of like horrible event where nobody has internet access and everybody's just running in the street going crazy and stealing food and all this, you know, horrible like chaos, um, you know, I mean, but then in that case, why are we having this conversation on the internet right now? Why are we using email? Why are we using Facebook? Why are we doing business online? Like, it's it's just like your faith in Bitcoin is also related with your faith in the continued success of the internet. And I don't think the internet is going to be going anywhere. <laughs> I don't. I think it's way too valuable uh including for those those in power as well i mean the internet was initially released by uh darpa by the u.s government so you know i mean they they have to benefit from technology as well and there's just there are too many limit there, there are too many reasons that uh well too many too many reasons to 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 have the internet continue existing i i would say um that's my only one. I mean, of, of course, you could still send Bitcoin. Like, you you can do offline transactions. You can get a Gotenna. And I mean, I, I wrote an article about this titled, Can Bitcoin Survive an Apocalypse? And just entertaining this idea of like, okay, you know, how would this thing function without electricity or or uh, internet, for example? And you can do some really cool stuff. You, you can even do, uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, sne sneaker sneaker transaction is that that what it's called? Basically, like you can literally print out a Bitcoin transaction on a piece of paper, walk twenty miles, hand the piece of paper to somebody, and then they could scan it or Im input the data, and then receive Bitcoin. There's just a bunch of really creative stuff you can do with Bitcoin. You can send it over satellites using um, uh, what was that device? An Iridium. Uh, an Iridium device, which this guy named Nick Fogel did. He basically sent Bitcoin through satellites, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, it's a bunch of stuff you can do, you know? I mean, that, that's another thing. Like, nobody in any other altcoin, like, name any other altcoin that literally has satellites up sending and receiving uh, 
Bitcoin information. Like it's it's just not happening. Yeah, the, the VC money hasn't got big enough yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um, uh, don't give them ideas. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, no, as well. There's a uh, interesting. Um, have you have you seen that? Uh, thing in africa the usdd i think it sounds like a shit coin but it's uh basically trans it's mobile money it's um have you seen it it's Man mancha Kura, i think it's called mm, no it's basically the ability to transact via the you know the cell networks um and yeah so you can like you can text now I have a friend actually who's very clued up on all this. And to be honest, I'm actually interviewing um, uh, one of the guys involved in a couple of weeks. But uh, it, it, basically, I need to read up on it much more <laughs> before the podcast. But the the general gist is you can have your mobile phone and you can, using um, the mobile money provider, which is interlinked with like the telecom provider, so you know, like your Vodafone or whatever. Um, you can send money via the telecoms network and they've made it so you can send Bitcoin without internet co connectivity. All you need is cell connectivity, but it's actually really starting to, I'll, I'll send it to you after the podcast. It's yeah. um, it's really starting to take off. I think they're in like 10 African countries and maybe the Middle East as well now. Hmm. Um, That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, so many. We're we're just so new. There's so many things that are being built out right now. It's it's uh it's impossible to keep up with. Yeah, it's actually just for anyone listening who wants to look it up. It's called Match Machinkura. So M A C H A N K U R A. So you get it. You get that on Twitter. Um, it's it's really interesting. But um, yeah, and like, do you have concerns around like? uh say like bitcoin privacy privacy like you know stuff like that is that um a big deal for you uh i mean i i used to own monero so it was something i i put thought into before and you know i diversified in, in a shit coin and bought monero for that reason but uh no i i don't i don't have <clears throat> I don't have any huge concerns about Bitcoin's privacy. Um, I'm not a developer, and but I, I've talked with developers about it, and and just kind of the general way I view it is, well, uh, if you were to talk about so okay, Lightning, there was a point in time when people said, well, Bitcoin's not going to work because you can't buy a cup of coffee with it, and you know it's too expensive to transact with, and so you know. That people went to Bitcoin Cash and then lost all their money if they held Bitcoin Cash. Basically, <laughs> you know, Bitcoin punishes you for leaving. That's that's what happens. Um, but I mean, but what happened? You know, you have the Lightning Network now, and what do you have? Like five thousand Bitcoin, over five thousand Bitcoin locked up in the Lightning Network now. It's pretty pretty impressive. You know, I mean, it's obviously not a huge number, but it's certainly growing. Um, I, I just, I equate it with the same thing with Bitcoin and privacy. Now you have people who, you know, criticize Bitcoin for not being private. And then you go to Monero, which doesn't scale, uh, and can't, you know, can't, can't like verify the supply and all that. So you have a bunch of trade-offs. Um, and I think Monero is going to suffer the same fate as, uh, people who held Bitcoin cash for that very reason. You can't, you can't just take the entire network and say, okay, well, we have this other coin 
and uh, you're sacrificing a lot of things for this coin, but you're getting privacy or but you're getting Twitter transactions. That whole story has played out many times before and it will not work. Um, that's yeah, kind of the I, way I view it. I, th I think as well that like, it, it, in addition to your points to Monero, it's just that like <laughs> with Monero, and yeah, I, I kind of went down that a bit as well, but it's like, it's like the monetary layer you know the layer one the, the the monetary layer isn't really secure because they're always changing it the whole time so like it's just it's almost like a matter of time before i don't know some critical bug or something is introduced to like you know really you know like if 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 you it goes back to like if you had your money in monero 10 years from now like could you be really sure that it's going to be there now i know bitcoin changes but like it's so hard to change bitcoin or upgrade it or and you know you need total consensus more or less to do so um that yeah i i think i, I just think the kind of you know the the monero bros they they kind of get lost on the privacy and i think you're i think you're probably right it's going to come with time on bitcoin and get much better um even if it's just on the layers but um yeah like when you say around like when you were talking earlier about like you think bitcoin is extremely dangerous to think well i maybe you didn't say that but that i actually think it's extremely dangerous to believe that bitcoin's already won um and that while i i do think it is it's actually possible maybe it has maybe it is the black hole it just sucks in everything but i don't think it serves us to believe that um just in case it hasn't because we've no way of knowing so what yeah one of one of my things that i think about quite a bit is just uh you know the whole privacy aspect around bitcoin um and that if the governments go totally dystopian um it's kind of this whole idea you know turkeys don't vote for christmas so like maybe the governments aren't aren't going to get behind this thing and maybe they'll coordinate a global international effort through OFAC or something like that to try and take it down in the same way that we had a big global lockdown for two years. Um, well, I don't think that's that, likely. Well, yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's, it's, sorry it's, to interrupt. It's, but it's, yeah, it's, okay, so let's think about that then. All right, possible, let's, yeah, I know, it's a really good thought. Let's compare it to the lockdown. Like that. That's actually a really, really good thought. So you, you had some areas that didn't, you know, a lot of states in the, the United States is a good example uh, of this idea of game theory like you know bunch of state florida texas bunch of other states too that i could name really didn't lock people down that much and they actually let people just have the freedom to make their own decisions and now they're the you know states are making a lot more money and getting a lot more citizens and so who's to say the same thing wouldn't happen um if there was some sort of coordinated effort against bitcoin it's just too solidified at this point to to go away i, I firmly believe that um yeah politicians in the us where they they have to have an opinion on bitcoin at this point because it's bringing in too many jobs and it's too much of a big deal to just ignore and i always talk about the guy and i don't like him i think he's a total globalist but but ted cruz ted cruz is literally posting selfies of of him in bitcoin mining <laughs> facilities in texas like people how do you do you not see where this is going I, I just don't understand how can somebody not own 
Bitcoin after after seeing this, things like this, you know, it's it's clearly not going away. Um, so and that's okay. Like the guy's a globalist. Well, it's not okay. Like I I really <laughs> don't like him. And I also you know he's kind of like a dad bod double chin kind of guy. But uh, everybody has to have their own incentives. Like politicians, corrupt, greedy politicians also need to benefit from the, for this thing in order for it to succeed. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And look, the whole—I I get the whole kind of game theoretic thing. Um, yeah, I—I'd imagine we're okay, but just I, I think everyone needs to kind of assume we're not just in case. <laughs> um, and I think the narrative has definitely kind of switched from generally. Look on Bitcoin Twitter, where all the hardcore guys are. I, I think it's more switched to kind of, you know. We better go as if we're not okay but we probably are okay instead of just saying oh we're okay come at us like um would you, do you think that's uh and a good echo to sentiment yeah i mean you should always have adversarial thinking for sure you, you should think okay you know if somebody wanted to to kill this thing what would they do um but i mean again i'm, I'm not a developer i have talked to a lot of developers over the last two years of working at Bitcoin Reserve, which has been like a great honor because they're the most intelligent people that you will meet in your life are is our Bitcoin developers. But um, I, I, I just, I think there's always gonna be a demand for privacy. Even if it's not the entire population, there will always be a demand to transact privately and people will, will find a way to address that demand in the market. I mean, you know, I spent some time with Wasabi team uh, at the Baltic Honey Badger conference in uh, Latvia and, you know, very impressed by by what they're doing. And I, I just view privacy as something that will always be demanded by some groups. And that's, you know, the market's going to find a way to uh, fulfill that. So, but yeah. even that, you know, at least Bitcoin can't be taken away from you. Like, even if how are how are they going to prove that uh you already have between two I, I think the number is between two to three or between two to four million bitcoin that are permanently lost like lost mm. you know pe people just lost their private keys and this was 10 years ago and then now they can't find them they're somewhere in a landfill or something like that like it's it's that's a real problem that has plagued Bitcoin. And just I, I, I just don't think that this tyranny can stale if the government were to say, okay, well, we're going to cut your head off if you own Bitcoin. Nobody can own Bitcoin anymore. It's like, okay, well, are they really going to go house to house and knock on everybody's door and search their entire house for a piece of paper with 24 words and say that we tracked you through chain, chain analysis and we know that you are associated with this Bitcoin address and we know it's yours and... I just don't. I, I just think Bitcoin, it 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 makes tyranny more expensive. Yeah, and yeah. they're going to have to just work with it instead of fight it. It's just it makes more. It, the incentives are aligned in a way that it makes more sense for the state to just embrace it. hundred percent. And look, I think that isn't. It's not really workable that scenario you said there because you always have that plausible deniability that you did lose your you know you you lost your keys in a boat accident like <laughs> so um 
like uh it's you know three four million bitcoin lost already so who's to say you're you haven't lost it as well like but um yeah and and the fact when everyone starts spending it day to day um you know when bitcoin becomes the currency eventually and it reaches its kind of equilibrium value um you know when there's no need for stable coins or anything like that anymore it kind of i think that kind of messes up without even without the privacy aspects and the layers and you know uh technologies that we may have 10 15 years from now just the fact that spending it truly peer-to-peer kind of messes up a lot of the you know the the name peg chain analysis associated with like your coinbase account or whatever so yeah i think it's pretty optimistic but it's it's always good to talk about this stuff and keep things moving forward on it um yeah but yeah, so look, I suppose just to just one or two other things, like yeah, so just before we wrap up, like how how best would you like to increase adoption? Like, what's what's the best thing? What's the most important thing we all need to do? Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Uh well, I think that the reality is that most people will not buy it for the first time until the price is going up, and that's that's just the way it is. Like I, I, I'm sure you have too, but like I've spent so much time talking with people about why this is important and why it would help human beings prosper more and all these reasons, right? Why fiat currency is bad and all this, but, um, you know, a lot of people are not going to contact you about it again until the price is like $50,000 or $70,000 and, that's just how human beings operate. So price is obviously a big part of that. Um, we we need to have propaganda. This is this is there's like good propaganda and there's bad propaganda, and you, you need to have you need to have a narrative. Is is more so? It's a more accurate way of putting it. You need to have a really good narrative in order to to win people over. I think we do have a really good narrative. I think we are on. I truly believe that this is good for humanity. We are on the right side of, of history and it solves a really big problem, which is that, you know, you should have, you should have a right to, to choose which form of money you want to use. Like nobody should have, it's just morally wrong for a certain group of people to say, okay, this is what money is. We are saying this is what money is. You have to use it. Okay, that's it's just you should have the freedom to make your own personal decision of of what you want to use for money. No group should have a absolute monopoly on that. That's just totally ridiculous. No, nobody should have a monopoly on the production of cars or a monopoly on you know like any other service really, especially money. Um, money is so important you know and, and monopoly you you have a group of people who have no interest of providing a better product or service because there's no competitor which can take their business away yeah um, i look i think as well it's like just you know as lenin said he said something like 90 percent of bringing communism to a nation is the control of money for the central bank so like free market capitalism that that hasn't been really had in a long time and i i think that kind of can be said in a bit of a you know a lot of people would argue that point but like if if the money is supply if the money is controlled 
it's heavily manipulated it's going to have adverse effects everywhere um and it's something you, you can never really know until it's gone so i think bitcoin's you know start to to shine that light a little but um yeah so yeah look i, I suppose um yeah where, where can we find you um and yeah bitcoin reserve just and ju just on the privacy there's just just one other thing um Bitcoin Reserve versus, say, something like Coinbase. Is there a difference between? Like, I, I think I was Nick mentioned before that uh, it's much. You know, Coinbase just feed all your information to the government in a like a live <laughs> via RSS feed or something. <laughs> yeah, Coinbase. Yeah, yeah. What's what's That's the difference? Funny yeah coinbase is like mcdonald's of crypto that's what i call uh coinbase um yeah i mean they they have a 1.3 million dollar contract with uh what is it the department of justice or something like that some federal agency um yeah so if you think kyc first of all i i don't like kyc i think it's a totally criminal thing to force companies to, to do i don't think it, it actually solves any any of the problems that it's uh that they claim that it is solving um and and banks are the bitterest biggest facilitators of money laundering hsbc and all these banks they work with the uh, mexican cartel and the russian mafia and you know like banks are are not these honorable institutions that uh you know they portray themselves to be um so yeah i mean it, it depends you know the the kyc experience how your data is handled is going to vary by each company you go with okay so coinbase is first of all they're they're a u.s company so they have to deal with all the ofac stuff um you, you know they have to deal with the regulatory oversight of the u.s government that alone is a huge huge barrier we don't serve u.s citizens because we want to protect our customers from the overarching um you know reaching of, of data that that happens when you serve u.s clients um and and the way data is handled like we will not share we will not sell uh your data to any third parties that you know we, we don't we're not going to sell your data to anybody else that's happened before with other other companies as well um we've never had a data breach uh which is great but uh <laughs> you know and even if we were to have one we've we've put some i can't say like the the back end like operational deep stuff but like we we put precautions in place to where even if that were to happen it would not jeopardize the client client base um so yeah, you know, I mean, there, there's just we everybody who works at Bitcoin Reserve, we are freedom maximalists, and we have taken every possible step uh, available to preserve the data and privacy as much as possible. So we even we even recorded a podcast on this very topic, literally titled "How Do We Handle KYC?" And for 40 minutes, we're talking exactly about this very topic. So just to be as transparent as possible. So, and I mean, listen, the reality is like, <clears throat> I think KYC acquired Bitcoin and non-KYC acquired Bitcoin, like both, both have their needs, okay? Like if, if you wanna buy $500,000 worth of Bitcoin, you're not gonna do it through a no KYC means of, of, of purchasing. You're not gonna be able to do that. And if you have your, 
65-year-old aunt, um, she's not going to be using BIST. Like she's been, she's had a retirement account for the last 45 years of her life. And she's just that she's used to having some sort of account where all her money is there and she's not going to be using BISC, you know, so, so different, but she should still have Bitcoin. Um, that's kind of my take on the KYC topic. Yeah. And, and just to you, sir, is it just, you don't serve US citizens or is it just US residents just out of interest? Yeah, yeah, U.S. citizens and Canadian citizens. We unfortunately do not serve. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. But everybody, you know, Europe, uh, pretty much huge worldwide international reach for clients um, outside of the U.S. and Canada. Cool. Yeah, I totally get that stuff. But um, yeah. So okay. So like, where where can we find you? Um, how can we learn more about Bitcoin Reserve and Andrew Howard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you want to buy or sell Bitcoin with us, you can go on BitcoinReserve.com. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. And uh, yeah, those are the best best places. Brilliant stuff. Okay, thanks very much, Andrew. And we'll have to have you back um, in a couple of months. Get your feedback again yeah it's a good time jack it's a lot of a lot of fun questions appreciate it yeah cool stuff okay thank you cheers man